Welcome back to the Gentleman Ultra Podcast. I am your host, as always, Richard Hall, and I am joined by Emmett Gates today, as we are talking goalkeepers. Now, we at the Gentleman Ultra some time ago were compiling a list of uh, the top Italian goalkeepers that have ever graced the game in Italy, and this was something that was compiled by the writers of TGU, uh, and we then ranked them one to ten. So we're going to go through those today. Uh, this podcast, Emmett, is uh, selected by the public, voted for by the public. Um, you uh, pleased with that? Uh, absolutely, yeah. The, we put it to the people, and the people have spoken. Um, yeah, looking forward to get, getting into this list and breaking it down. And uh, I mean, obviously, number one is probably clear, but from two to ten, you know, it's anyone's guess. So, yeah, looking forward to getting stuck into it. Um Although personally, I would have liked to talk about Del Piero ninety four to ninety eight, but this is still a good a good consolation prize. <laughs> I've been telling Emmett for the last two days that this was definitely not rigged. It is, it is all legitimate. So some I didn't skull, think you... some skull Dougie going on here, Richard. That's all I'll say. No, no, nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. Just because I was a goalkeeper from my youth to about thirty three and. Absolutely obsessed about goalkeepers. That is just pure coincidence. I could not really. I could only vote once, just like everyone else. <laughs> and it is an interesting topic, though, in in, in City A, because you know when you look at you go back over these great teams. I mean, wouldn't you say yeah, that, that there's always has, has there ever been a time since you can remember watching the Azzurri, for instance, that there hasn't been a good goalkeeper? I mean, that's a bit of a dodgy question because we're going to talk about Gigi Buffon at some point. He's been in there for, well, for, was there for such a long period of time. So I'll rephrase it. Is there a period that you can think of when Italy haven't had a good goalkeeper, even if it was before your time? Um, that is a good question. I mean, <laughs> like just off the top of my head, you know, you're going from the Zoff era, mm-hmm. which is what, from the mid-70s? early 70s like right through yeah till when Zoff retired so maybe that period 60, 60s to yeah 80s. like maybe the period from when Zoff retires in 82 kind of that mm. that transition period from 82 till maybe Zanga in 90 mm. you know or 86 was it Zanga made his debut for the Azzurri maybe that four-year gap in the middle of the 80s but I mean apart from that like you're talking since the 60s Italy I've always had world-class goalkeepers and you know there's usually one or two real standout goalkeepers but the next level down you know they, they'd be world-class for any other country but Italy just seems to have remarkable consistency in producing brilliant goalkeepers year after year decade after decade it's extraordinary it, it is and it's one of those situations where you know you look at it and you think okay well <laughs> What's bizarre is you, you look at Argentinians and you look at Brazilians and you can see these creative players. But Italy, I know when they talk about defenders and goalkeepers, I mean, defenders is a completely different podcast, but we just stay on the goalkeepers. It's, it is remarkable that there's been that much consistency throughout time. Um, it's, it really is. It's, it's phenomenal in some respects. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's hard to say, say why, really. But I mean, you know, you, you look at that, especially I would say the early 90s. I mean, the strength and depth that they had was just just phenomenal. Um, so, 
I think what we'll do is we'll get straight into it um, because, like you say, we've got a lot to choose from. And it was wasn't this wasn't easy as well. It wasn't. Oh, can I just say by the way? Sorry, I meant to say uh, before when you said about that crossover period uh, in the mid eighties, Giovanni Gali is actually in our top ten. So I don't think they. I can't think of a time. Probably pre, like you say, unless you start going pre off that there's been a, a bad goalkeeper. But we'll we'll kick off into it now. So again, we want people to. Uh, we, this will come out as an article in the near future. But we also um, want you guys to get in touch with us and tell us how wrong we were, or if we missed someone, blindly obvious. Uh, we have had to go really deeply back into the past as well. And there's a few that maybe people will be annoyed that we've missed off as well. But, I mean, Emmett, first and foremost, we'll go to number 10 now. Francesco Toldo. I mean, Francesco Toldo, where do you start with Toldo? I mean, superb goalkeeper for a start. Obviously, to make this list, they're all superb goalkeepers, so it goes without saying. But for me, I mean, what's, what's your memory of Toldo, really? Because for me, memory, even though he spent a long, long time at Inter uh, and... It is a huge memory for me that. Do you also really, really remember him from Fiorentina more so? To be honest, my abiding memory of Taldo is Euro 2000. Mm-hmm. You know, he was absolutely fantastic um, in Italy's run to the final. And especially, to be honest, the game that sticks out the most is the semi-final against Holland. Holland, yeah. When, when he saves two penalties and then saves a further couple, I think, in the in the shootout. Yeah. Um. Obviously, he stood in for the injured Gigi Buffon in Euro 2000. You know, he was going as backup, and he ends up becoming one of the star players for Italy in that run. Um, so that's my abiding memory of Taldo rather than his stints at Inter and Fiorentina. But just a remarkable goalkeeper. Um, unheralded, I would say. He obviously lived... You know, Taldo, the thing about Taldo was... He... Again, he's kind of he's one of those goalkeepers where he lived in the shadow of Paliuka mm-hmm. in the mid to late nineties, and then once Buffon takes over, he Taldo really never got a period to shine on his own. And obviously, yeah. Euro two thousand only comes across, uh, only happens for him really because Buffon gets injured leading into the tournament. You know, he was going as backup, so I think Taldo was very underrated in the pantheon of. Italian goalkeepers from the time, let alone in general. Um, but he was always just a very steady presence, you know. And he obviously he played for Fiorentina at a time when they were at their peak. You know, obviously Battistuta mm-hmm. was there, Rui Costa, Edmundo, and he was a Fiorentina at the time didn't you know they weren't blessed with great defenders. You know, I, I can't think of one outstanding Fiorentina defender from the mid to late nineties. But they had Taldo and Nets. And he was the start of that spine, you know, that ran was Taldo, yeah. Rui Costa, Batistuta, you know, and he was an integral part of that. Um, the Inter period, you'd obviously know more than me about how he was at Inter, but I remember him being a steady pair of hands, even as he progressed, you know, into the latter part of his career. Am I right in that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that he, you, when you say he was in the shadow, for me, I think that's 100% right. I think the two periods when he, he probably wasn't, You've spot on with the Euros, but I also think that time at Fiorentina. And I think that's where, for me, in Essentia, I remember him more so. Because even at Inter, he was, you know, he was, he was exceptional. But it was, you know, at the end of that career, he gets usurped by Julio Cesar. 
Um, and so again, he's in the shadows at the end, really. But yeah, you know, I mean, when you look at him as a goalkeeper, I mean, a he's massive, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is, which helps. And the, I always remember uh, everyone always still talks about it now. And that's do you remember the chip from for Francesco Totti yeah. against him? And that's why that goal is so good because he's so tall and he could he could get up so high um, that it was remarkable that he actually managed to beat him there because nowhere else was the ball to go. But you, you're right when you say he's really composed, composed in a safe pair of hands because he was, I think, mentally as a goalkeeper, every single defence that he played behind, they trusted him. And you look at, you know, I mean, it's one thing to say that, you know, when he was younger, he looked up to the likes of Zoff and Galli and different people like that. But to actually have the same sort of composure as someone like, like you see with Buffon and you saw with Zoff. I mean, that's how high we're talking about this guy now. Um but also as well, you know, you look through what you need as a goalkeeper. I mean, there's not much he didn't have, really. I mean, he was good with his feet. You know, there's never really... OK, every, every goalkeeper makes mistakes. So, But it, there was no... Um, when you look at big games, I don't remember personally a catalogue of mistakes that he made. Um, and for me, you know, the saves he makes. For such a tall guy to be able to get down low as quick as he could he's unbelievable and I think that the only reason he is I mean what did they used to say they said the only thing he was poor at was uh, well not even not even poor but he should have probably been a little better at crosses at taking crosses and that's not because of the jump either it was because for some reason he was too even though he was effective on one-on-ones at coming out of his goal for some reason he didn't trust himself on crosses as much but I mean that that's nothing to really hit him over the head with but would you say 10th is too low, Emmett, or would you have had him higher up this list? I mean, it, it speaks to the, the sheer strength of of, of the, the quality of goalkeepers that we were talking about, that Tado was 10th. You know, if this, yeah. if this had been any other nation, apart from maybe Germany, Germany, I think, are probably the only nation that could rival Italy for goalkeepers, you know, going back decades. You know, if if Taldo was I don't know English or Brazilian or Argentine, he's probably top five, top six easily. But just because the sheer quality of goalkeepers Italy have produced over the decades, you know, I'd say maybe tenth is probably about right for Taldo. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's at least we're thinking we we got off to a half decent start. So we'll move up to to number nine. Now, this was a man who. For me, this is my youth, really, this guy. Um, Sebastiano Rossi at uh, AC Milan. Um, look, I, for me, this guy, it's the, it was just his attitude for me. He's sort of, I remember it was back in 2016, he's on a media set studio and uh, he sat there and he's all ashen face and massive cheekbones that came out, well-dressed, but, he just he just looked white, and it's because Buffon was going about to break his clean sheet record, <laughs> and and so Sebastiano Rossi sat there and he's fuming. He's absolutely fuming, and uh, he's got to because he knows at the end of the game Buffon keeps the ball out for nine hundred and thirty minutes, and Rossi's got to um, got well, he's got to analyse him, hasn't he? And Rossi's just such a competitor, even then. And so, so Chiro Ferrara turns around and says to him, you know, what do you think of that then when Buffon gets it? And he just put, he just turns around and says, some of the attackers were a lot harder to mark back then. 
<laughs> basically you're saying that they, they do have to play against the same quality of opposition well to be fair but, to be fair I mean, he, he does have a point to be fair <laughs> he does he does he does um i mean what's your memories of rossi because um, i mean it's that milan side isn't it i mean it's just a phenomenal side but and the second question for you and rossi and this goes to show the strength of the, the uh the, the league his national team appearances just not there. Yeah, he's on. He was uncapped by the Azzurri, which is absolutely remarkable when I think about it. Um, or I'm nearly sure he's mm. uncapped. Um, he maybe mm. he, he might have been called up to a couple of squads, but as far as I know, he never started a single game for Italy, which is amazing when you think that he was the number one goalkeeper for Milan when when Milan were the best team in the world. You know, in that early to mid nineties period. It's absolutely remarkable. Um, my abiding memory of Rossi is, I remember, it must have been late on in his Milan career. It must have been maybe 90, 1998 or 1999. And I think who it was. Might have been a Milan derby. And someone for Inter had scored. Uh. And the, 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 the strikers running to pick the ball out of the net and Rossi like swings for him or kicks him or tries to punch him. <laughs> That's my... Yeah, when I remember I, that. When I think of... Uh, Sam Rossi that's what I think of just like kind of off the cuff kind of character and I, when I was looking I was doing a bit of research before we started this podcast and he only played 240 games for Milan in a 12 year uh, spell which is not a lot when you think about it like that's not a lot of games for 12 years and obviously he must have yeah. at some points he must have played second fiddle to uh, Christian, uh, Christian Abiati or I'm trying to think of Milan's yeah. goalkeeper from the mid 90s but it has to be Rossi but I don't know it's just he uh, to me it, it's it's ridiculous that he never got one cap for Italy um, but again it's kind of was he you know when you have Berezi Maldini Costa Curda and Tassati in front of you how really good are you you know what I mean <laughs> Like, yeah. are, are we are we overrating him, or is he really good? Is he good enough to get in this top ten list? Is what I'm trying to say. You know, it's it's one thing for him to, to say yeah. for him to say to Buffon that you know, oh, you didn't come up against the strikers that I came up against. But at the same point, Buffon didn't have <laughs> you know two of two of arguably the four greatest defenders of all time in Maldini and Baresi, and very good defenders in Costa yeah. Curda and Tassadi. You know, watching what in front of me, you know. So I, what yeah, do you I know think? what you mean. I don't know. I mean, I remember him as a, as a player. I mean, the guy's won twelve major titles, you know. And you're thinking, bloody hell, it, it's it's impressive. And yeah, but like you say, he is in front of that team. But for me, again, you've still got to that defense has got to be confident. And you, I mean, his nickname. What was it now? Is uh, uh, sense now? Excuse my Italian. Uh, Sensore Umano, the human lift. Because, I mean, that's my abiding memory of him. He's normally with a cap on at San Siro, taking crosses and just absolutely shutting the game down. And I think that, I think he did the basics right. You know, I mean, obviously, Milan had that zonal marking system and he just was really, for me, he was another goalkeeper like Toldo in the sense he could get down really low. You know, six foot six and he could get down really, really quickly. And I just think that he's probably right to be in here. But again, you know, you look at the goalkeepers around at times, some of who are on this list who we'll mention, and you can understand why 
uh, Saki doesn't call him up for the uh, Euro squad. I think it's the Euro. Yeah, Saki, which is strange because it's Saki who brought him to the club as well. But the only thing for me, I mean, he was a bit... He, I think bravery with Rossi is worth talking about because he really was. Um, but it was tinged with a pinch of recklessness, in my opinion. I mean, it never... But saying that, it never really impacted Milan negatively, though, to be a problem. I mean, I remember this issue later in his career, the game against Perugia, when Milan conceded a penalty. And um, oh, that's the one we're talking about. Yeah, that's the one when he punched him. Do you remember? Yeah. It wasn't the Milan. It was, uh, it was, it was Nakata. It was. And that's the one. Unless he probably did it more than once. But, you know, he's... Um, was that, I think that when he got a five-game ban, actually. But it was... Um, but, yeah, I mean... I, it's, let me ask you this, though. If you ask a Milan fan... Who's the greatest goalkeeper in their history? What are they saying? Yeah, I mean, that's... Well, the, at least... You know, I mean, that, yeah, that, that's kind of the, the thing. Like, for a club of Milan stature, you wouldn't... You you always associate, you know, great defenders, great midfielders, great strikers, great number 10s. But you don't necessarily think about a one outstanding goalkeeper. It probably would be Rossi. But, I mean, you know, you're not talking, you know, Buffon or even Taldo. You know, for... for Interim always had a good goalkeeper. Same with Juve, you know. Yeah. And even you know the likes of Roma at certain points have had great. But Milan, it's kind of they're an anomaly. It's like you don't necessarily think towards ah, oh, you know. Obviously, maybe that'll change with Don Roma if he obviously yeah. if he stays and yeah. he stays, you know, for the next 10, 12 years. But yeah, with Milan, you you you, you don't. A, a brilliant world world class goalkeeper doesn't necessarily spring to mind when you you know what I mean when you think of them. So I kind of yeah. I know what you mean. Rossi is probably as close as it gets for Milan. Yeah. Well, do you think about it? Is it, sorry did, when I was talking about the Euros, um, didn't qualify in those two days. When you look at that USA squad for '94 and Rossi's won absolutely everything, including the Champions League. Arrigo Sacchi's the coach. He brought him to Milan, as I said before. And Rossi's got to sit at home and watch Marchigani, Paluca, uh, Bucci, and who was, yeah, that was it, wasn't it? It was Paluca, uh, Marchigani, and Bucci travel instead of him. And it's just it's incredible, absolutely incredible. But we've got to move on because um, I think Rossi's one of the, we could have a podcast on Rossi, I think, because it is. I've read a piece before about him saying he's Mr. Milan's Mr. Underrated, and he certainly is. So, the man he replaced, though, at Milan, and someone that they might argue maybe was their greatest goalkeeper, is um, Giovanni Gali. Now, Gali, for me, again, you know, he's one of those one of those goalkeepers who I know that he played a bazillion games for Fiorentina at the start. Um, but again, you know, this guy for me, growing up when I did and watching Inter in the late eighties, early nineties. You know, this guy is at Milan from 86 to 90, and then he's at Napoli from 90 to 93. I mean, you don't get to play for those teams without being a ridiculous, a ridiculous goalkeeper. Arguments again here, you know, he didn't play a huge amount of games for the, um, for the Azori either. Um, although, like we said before, he did play in that 86 World Cup. Um, but again, you know, I mean, when you think of those sides, Emmett, that he's playing for, I mean, do, I just don't think this guy's talked about enough, personally. Well, yeah. not, in the, not, not in the UK. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, it's kind of, again, this is a theme that will run right through this podcast. It just speaks to the sheer quality of mm. goalkeepers that Italy have produced at the likes of Galli, who, I mean, if you run through his honours list at Milan, he literally won everything that there is to win in the game. Like, won mm. Serie A, Champions League, Intercontinental Cup, you know, he won it all. And he was capped by Italy. Although, in saying that, he didn't... He only won 19 caps, which is relatively low, considering he, he, he as we kind of talked about earlier, he was that goalkeeper that was the transition between the end of the Zoff era and the start of the Zanga era. Yeah. And he only he only won like 19 caps in the three years. But I mean, it speaks to yeah. sheer volumes that, you know, again, he's underrated. He's not, when you, when you think of the best Italian goalkeepers of all time, he's not in the top three or the top four. He's rightly in the top 10. And again, it speaks to the value of how, just how good Italy are producing goalkeepers. Yeah, massively. I, I think, like you say, it's going to be uh, another thing that runs through it. For me, when you, well, what's really interesting about this is, you know, we were talking before about Francesco Toldo being quite good with his feet. When you look at Gali and the sort of play, goalkeeper he was, he's another one of those really composed, really reliable, really chilled out, uh, who just does the basics right. But again, you know, you look at how good he was with his feet and that changes everything. It allows the team to play a higher line. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's fun. I think it's just fundamental. Uh, it's fundamental the way he played to how that Milan probably won so much. Um, again, you know, like, like Rossi in a sense. I mean, they're all interlinked in a sense because, you know, he also was brilliant in that zonal marking system. Um because he's quick off his line again with the crosses. I think out of all of the list, uh, saying that, well, maybe not out of all of the list, but he's one of the ones that I find the hardest to pick flaws in. You know, he just seems to seems to have everything. You know, I mean, six two, he's not huge, huge, but he's he's, he's he was tall, and weirdly, maybe it's because of my age, but I just remember him more at Napoli. Um, he was always a, he just, I just remember always an incredible spring, just absolutely fantastic. But yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting one because he was 32 when he went to Napoli. So, you know, that, that period as well, when he was, uh, just before that, uh, when he was at Milan, he really was just in his peak years. So yeah, it's Gali at, what did we say? Number eight. So Next, we go on to we're going way back now. So this one is this is one where the list gets difficult for us because we never saw this guy play. Uh, Giuliano Sarti is the goalkeeper who uh, was part of the Grande Inter side, and you know you can actually find clips of him on YouTube. And what comes across in this, I don't know if you think so. It's, it just looks like the, it's the stature of him. He's just got his massive square jaw. He looks like a captain. He looks like a, a a real, just a burgundy type player. You know, and you just look at them and you're like, okay, you can tell he's the captain before he opens his mouth. He looks like, well, you can tell he's in command. And from all accounts, you know, he was that. He was very, very highly thought of at Inter. Really, um, you know, really, how can I put it? Uh, well respected. They still talk about him now. And of course... Again, you know, you look at the... You talk about good goalkeepers being the base of a good team. I mean, this is Helenio Herrera. And the the, the legendary team, the absolute legendary team that, that potentially, obviously, caught, 
uh, started at Catanaccio, isn't it, Emma? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's way before both of our times, even though you're a lot older than me. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I'm just kidding. But, I mean, looking at pictures of him, like he, his face looks like he was chiseled from granite. You know, he, has that, <laughs> he almost has that, like, Pietro Verkawood type of face. Yes. You know, it just looks like hard as nails. Um, and I was looking, just looking briefly through his, um, his profile. Again, another goalkeeper that didn't win a huge amount of caps for Italy. You know, he only won, mm-hmm. he, he only won eight. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming this would have been Prizov. This, uh, yeah, he's Prizov. Um, so I'm not sure who would have been Italy's number one in the, in the early 60s, mid-1960s. But I mean, his, his record for Fiorentina, you know, over 200 games. Moves. I think it's Lorenzo Buffon. If I'm just, if I'll have to check that. Uh, uh, Gigi's, Gigi's uncle. Yeah, he, he was in the national team. I'm sure he was at that time. Um, just looking now. Sorry, to, excuse the late research for this one. Uh, no, well, nice fifty-eight to sixty-two. He was only capped fifteen times, but there were potentially a lot less games back then. So maybe they switched around a little bit. But sorry, carry on, carry on. No, I mean he was obviously an integral part of Il Grande Interside under Heleno Ooh. Herrera. Um, that won back-to-back European Cups in the mid-60s. Um, and it's kind of, as we've alluded to on this in this episode, it, most great sides in Serie A down the years have all started with having a, a really good goalkeeper, a consistent goalkeeper. And clearly he was an integral part of, you know, Il Grande Interside. Um, and... I, he only sticks around till like 68 so Herrera had left Inter by that point I think I think yeah because he yeah he had I'm um, pretty sure and then he makes a remarkable switch to Juve but I mean he's only at Juve for a cup of coffee he doesn't stay too long <laughs> and then he transfers to a team that I've never heard of Unione <laughs> Val Val no I don't even know how to pronounce that <laughs> um but, but I mean, yeah, obviously his peak was Fiorentina and Inter. And mm. yeah, obviously if Herrera, you know, rated him, <laughs> he obviously was a very good goalkeeper. Well, that, I mean, that Fiorentina side, that's the one that also won City A, wasn't it? And uh, he made the his Cup and Coppa d'Italia. Um, yeah, fantastic for, for both clubs. I think obviously because of the success of the Inter side, it always remembered more, um, you know, for, for, for playing uh, for Inter. Um, but because it was just a fantastic one. And again, another goalkeeper who's good with his feet. You know, it's uh, it seems to be a bit of a trend going down here. Yeah. But, I, uh, well, here's here's a question for you. Mm. Um, as you've like, I, the likes of Galli and Rossi, you've seen more of them than I have. How do you think, obviously, the likes of Galli played a little bit into the 90s and Rossi, obviously, you know, played it up until the early noughties, so he could have adapted. But how do you think... How do you think the goalkeeper, some of the goalkeepers on this list, how they would have fared post the back pass rule? Do you think they would have suffered, or do you think they would have adapted? I think that's a really good question. It's um, oh God, I mean, I think Galley would have been absolutely fine. Uh, obviously, he was, he was at the end, wasn't he? Because when did he come in? Ninety two. After that absolute joke of a European Championship with Denmark. Yeah, it came in at the start just... of the 92-93 season. 
Yeah, because that is that. I'm sure it was that Euros when Denmark just were literally taking the absolute proverbial. Well, the law, well, the law had actually already been changed at that point. Euro '92 was the last tournament that was allowed. Right. I think it was the back pass rule was a consequence of Italia '90. And if um, you watched a lot of the teams, like the likes of Egypt and Republic of Ireland, Yo, they would just back pass to the goalkeeper, and then the goalkeeper would throw it back to the to the right back, yeah. who would pass it back to the goalkeeper, and so on and so on. So I think it definitely was a consequence of Italia '90, but Euro '92 was the last hurrah. Yeah. For, and then so, uh, and then Denmark just absolutely took the piss <laughs> with <laughs> with kicking the ball back to Peter Schmeichel. So they, I think Gally had. Well, adapted okay, but it was right at the end of his sort of career. I think that it's difficult because I, if we just if we just focus in on this man here. I mean, that, from you get a few clips of this guy, and there's a few on YouTube, some nice highlight reels because you can look at, uh, and a lot of it is the saves. But you, the good thing about this uh, inside is I have watched um, games before for the European Cup run, and again, you can find them. Um, and he seems absolutely capable with his feet. All, all the time, and he was known for that, you know, as a sweeper keeper, even back then. Um, but again, it's it's one of those situations where it's a completely different game. But yeah, I would I would think so. I think a goalkeeper, when you look at that quality, I mean, if you put him in today's game, it's like you know you can't compare. Would Miatsa be scoring in in the nineteen nineties? But I think if the back pass rule would have been imply employed, sorry, then then yeah, I, I would have thought so. I would have thought he would have had no problems. Oh, interesting. So, I don't know that, obviously. But <laughs> <laughs> I just need a guess. Yeah. And going from one Il Grande team to another, Valerio, <coughs> sorry, Bacilupo. This is our next one on the list. Now, this is the Grande Torino goalkeeper. Now, this is this is one you feel we felt we couldn't leave out because this... Would you say that this Torino team is viewed in Italy as the best ever because of the tragedy? Or do you think it genuinely genuinely was? Um, because we, we put this guy on the list, but let's, you know, unfortunately in Superga, he, he died at 25. Um, but he was, no, he was supposed to have, uh, and this is why I put him in, a goalkeeper absolutely revol- revolutionised the position. And... Not many times do we say that at all. So where? Let me ask you the question again about the Torino team. Where do you think they they stand as in the greatest of all time in Italy? Oh, that's a <laughs> I, I, that's a question. I think I'm not that qualified to answer. But I, they're always kind of held up as you know the poster team, aren't they? they like they're seen as the model team for every side yeah. in Italy to strive for. And I feel, I mean, obviously, uh, an Italian could answer this a lot better than I could, but as an outsider mm. looking in, it, it generally seems to be between the Il Grande Torino side or the Milan side of the late 80s. Yeah, yeah. But I feel probably more reverence is given to the Il Grande Torino team because, if I'm not mistaken, they were all Italian. You know, yeah. it was a side made in Italy by Italians and there was no foreigners. Where when when we talk about the when we talk about the Milan side of the late eighties and early nineties, you know, under Arrigo Sacchi and Capello, 
Yes, you have Baresi and Maldini and Tassati and Costa Curta and Ancelotti and Donadoni, but you have the three Dutchmen, you know, and they take, they almost steal the limelight away from the likes of Baresi and Maldini. You know, they're kind of the the three players that you think of when you think of that uh, great Milan side. Whereas with the Il Grande Torino side, they're all Italian. So I think there's there's a pride in that. That's why the Italians hold that side up as the greatest because it was it was made in Italy as the product is now sold as you know. Yeah, they're all homegrown it, talent. Yeah, it's, it's, it is. I, I I agree with that. I mean, if you some of the Italians have talked about the Grande Torino, they do see it as like you said the poster team and it kind of was and I think that even when you look at any team that they're you know perishes in tragedy if they are especially good as well they're always uh you know held up a little bit more because it's what could have been and you know you look at this man here and uh, you know Bacchialupo was basically ready to go to the the World Cup wasn't he in um uh, 1950 was uh, Uruguay, wasn't it? No, Brazil, sorry, Brazil. Uruguay, wasn't it? Yeah. And I mean, that's, the, that's another thing too. Like, that Azzurri team, that, yeah, exactly. that, would, that would have went to the 1950 World Cup. It would have been, what, 10 of the 11 players that would have been from the Il Grande Torino team. Like, that's yeah. that's absurd numbers from one club. <laughs> yeah. And, you, you know, from, I mean, like you said, we you can find very few, you can find clips, very few of them uh, but again, when you do see it, what's interesting about this one is, you know, we're talking about Galli before and he's got that spring. And another goalkeeper who's not on this list, uh, who reminds me a little bit of it, was Luca Bucci, uh, when he was like really small in stature in a sense. And this guy, you know, he's five foot nine. And you, anything you foresee of him, he's always got that amazing spring. And the more you read about him, it, it's apparently that those reactions and that ability to to do that and to get to the ball where people weren't doing it. Uh, and also, again, you know, it comes again. that, And this is this is quite interesting that we keep coming back to some of the similar things. He's another goalkeeper who's credited to being one of the very first to really spend a lot of time off his line. Not just for coming for crosses on your six-yard box, but coming for six crosses, you know, because he wasn't really seen. If he was a goalkeeper in the 30s and 40s, when you, you, you go, your idea was you go for your crosses on your six-yard line. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's incredible. And I know it sounds really weird, but my um, my granddad um, was a goalkeeper and he played in the reserves at Blackpool. And uh, he always, when I was growing up, he would always say to me, because he was like really old-fashioned, all the advice was wrong because the game had changed. But he'd say, don't go further than your six-yard box to get a cross. And you'd be like, okay. and But this guy here, you know, he's one of the ones who's taking it on from that level. And uh, from 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 what you read about him, you know he's obviously very sadly lost because he he did so much to change the position of, of many goalkeepers afterwards. So definitely on the list. Um, now we're going back a bit more recent, and we are going to many people's favourites. I'm going to let you talk about this man a little bit, Angelo Peruzzi. Oh, loved Angelo Peruzzi growing up in the nineties. I was heartbroken when Juve sold him to Inter in the summer of 99. Um, just a real, almost, it's, it's he's a real, just a real barrel of a man. Like, he's real broad-shouldered and he's real, you know, almost top-heavy. But such a, a shot-stopper. 
Like, I mm. remember in the 1986 Champions League final against Ajax, there's a couple of remarkable saves that he makes from close range. I think one of them was from Yari Lippmann and I want to say one of the DeBoers. Just, you know, close range, just, it was smashed at him from maybe seven or eight yards out and he just not only saves it, but he smothers the ball and keeps it under his control rather than, you know, parrying it out or, yeah. you know, it bouncing off him and then coming back to an Ajax player. Just a real, just a, he, Juve bought him in 1990 and it took a while for him to, you know, improve. But by the time you get to maybe 1994, uh, in his last four or five years, you know, at Juve, I, I definitely think at that point he was probably the best goalkeeper in Serie A, which was high praise considering that, you know, Pagliuco was there and Buffon was starting and yeah. he still had Sam Rossi and... You had Marco Gianni and Taldo, and you know, the 90s are ridiculous for goalkeepers. But yeah, Angelo Peruzzi was always a big fan of him. Um, if he had one weakness, probably it was that he could get uh, he came off his line a little too much. And this obviously comes into play in the 1997 Champions League final where Lars Ricken chips him from yeah. 65,000 yards out. <laughs> Peruzzi is that far off his line, you know, and that killed the game. Like, you've had no yeah. way back after that. That made it 3 1 and it was game over. That was maybe my only criticism of him. But mine, he, mine he, would be that he punched everything. He just he put every cross. He seemed to punch every bloody one, which was I think because of his height, maybe. Yeah, because he wasn't the tallest of goalkeepers. I mean yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to you know say why he always punched everything as opposed to Catching stuff, but I even Buffon has been guilty of that too. He would punch a lot of stuff, as uh, a lot mm. of balls, as opposed to you know catching it <laughs> and bands again. It's, it's not a problem if it's effective. You know, if he's going to get distance on the punch and he's doing it in the right manner, there's no no issue with it. But I mean, you're right. He's synonymous with the nineties. I mean, he doesn't like you say. He doesn't look, doesn't look like a goalkeeper. I mean, the fact that his nickname was Tyson. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> more more akin to a boxer than a, a goalkeeper. He looks like a bouncer. Let's be honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, you could see him, you know, standing guard outside some Milanese nightclub in the Navalny region of the city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but again, it's amazing. But, I mean, it... yeah, like Prutzi. Prutzi's another one. You know, he doesn't have that many caps for Italy. And again, he <laughs> kind of he was second fiddle to Pagliuca. For so many years, and then he become second fiddle to Buffon, and he never actually had it. You know, at least Taldo had Euro two thousand. That was his tournament. Prutzi never yeah. had a tournament. Not um, where he didn't go to USA eighty four. He went to Euro eighty six as backup. You know, um, mm. to I'm pretty sure it was Paluca at Euro eighty six. Um, he goes to France ninety eight again as backup. Mm-hmm. The Paluca by Euro 2000, he's out of favour, so he never gets. And then I think he comes back in for Euro 2004, maybe. But you know, he never gets that one tournament as a number one, and I think that's very unfortunate because he, he's a very. I he when we talk about underrated goalkeepers, Peruzzi is definitely high on the list. I feel. Yeah, massively, massively. I'd say he did really, really well, even though because he had a lot of injuries. I think some of his best footballs actually played at Lazio at the end of his season, at the end of his career as well. Yeah, he, thought... he only spends a season at Inter. Marcelo Lippi brings him over, and then he leaves. He goes to Lazio in the summer of two thousand, 
and he's there for what five years, six years, and that yeah. that you know his his level of consistency at that time matched what he produced at Juve, you know, in his in his peak years almost. Um, mm. But Peruzzi definitely a very very underrated goalkeeper, I, I feel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and um, was he named? What was the thing? Was he? Didn't he? I can't remember now. I need to go and check. Wasn't he named like goalkeeper of the year on the season he retired or something? He just—I remember him having he, like he really went out on a high, and I think that's says a lot about him. He just long because you know from being a such a, a talked about youth player at the time, where you know when he came through. Obviously, he starts off at Roma. Then he was really... Apparently, I've not seen too much of him at Hellas Verona, but apparently he was brilliant when he was on loan there. And so, like you say, he's another one in the shadows in a way because it's hard to pick fault in him, hard to pick his decisions in the clubs he goes to. And, yeah, very few. He's another in the wake of some other brilliant goalkeepers. <clears throat> so, moving on, because uh, we've got a few to talk about, yeah, as well, so... <laughs> Me overrun this podcast, I think, a little bit. Um, listen, Walter Zenger, um, the spider. Um, this, for me, is my absolute hero growing up. Um, he's just absolutely fantastic for Inter. Just, I mean, as, as, a, as a goalkeeper, for me, watching him in the in the 90s, I mean, when you... He's had all sorts of nicknames, not just... I mean, the spider was the main one, but the hang glider was another. They just... He's... Do you know the? Do you know the one thing that they were critical of Zenga for? Have a guess, and not not the Italian anti thing. <laughs> Coming for crosses? No, saving penalties. That's the one thing the media always got on his back from. Uh, always, but it's it's funny though because for Zenga for me, he just it's the speed of him everything he did if it was across the speed of him this, and the second thing with Zenga I used to really really like is if he made a save how quickly he got up to make the second one um, and he's just unbelievably brilliant um, all the way around I mean I used to love the way he celebrated like he scored a goal if he saved it I always thought that the relationship with the Curva Nord was unbelievable and again I mean <sighs> It's really difficult to, to, to fault this guy. And when we talked about all of the um, all of the players, all those goalkeepers that he came up against uh, so in this list, um, you know, he does actually have a decent record for Italy. And, you know, like you say, going back to the 82 when he was off to reserve, he's just gone all the way through and been fantastic. I mean... There's too many memories for me to go on about Zenga. So I'm going to go on. I'll let, I'll let you talk for a minute about Zenga before I make this podcast 10 hours long. <laughs> well, it, Zenga's peak was before my time. Um, but obviously, you know, he had incredible reflexes from the footage, you know, from watching past games. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it shouldn't be, it's not fair to always go back to the incident that you know I'm going to bring up. <laughs> but to me, when I think of Zenga, the first memory that I think of is the Italia 90 semi-final against Argentina. Mm. You know, he hadn't conceded in the entire tournament. But you just, mm. you, 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 you watch that game back and you just think, what is he doing? Like, where is he going? 
And, mm. you know, why not just leave leave that cross? I think it's it's Diego's cross. Yeah, it is. For Kinesia. It's like, why not just leave that ball? You know, if, if he just lets the defender, the defenders deal with it, you know, Beresi or Maldini or Vieco would just let them deal with it. And Italy are still winning 1-0. And probably Italy probably would have won the tournament. Had you just you, you just wanted you know for a goalkeeper who was so good and at that point he was so experienced and he'd been in the Italy setup for years at that point you just mm. you just kind of want to know what was going through his head at that time and I think a lot of that again it's not really fair to always bring it up but it, it to me that's kind of the, when you think of Zanga for, for as, a, as a non-Inter fan that's mm. what I go to is that clangor at a, in in Naples in in July nineteen ninety? Yeah, I think he gets that still. I think I read something a, a long time ago when it was saying that you know he's always associated with that now. There's nothing you know it will because the whole of the nation was you know behind Italy. Uh, well, maybe from a few in Naples, but you know it was like <laughs> but every but the the nation had really got behind that team and really believed, and I think that. Like you say, there is no rhyme or reason. And it's so frustrating because, you know, like for him, you said about the experience, he's Zoff's number two. Well, he's in the team uh, with Zoff in 82. He's, I think he's behind Tancredi and we said Galli, didn't we, before in 86. Uh, and then obviously 88, he gets his chance, uh, beats Tacconi to the spot. And then he's 90. That's your experience peaking. That's his peak. And I think the frustration is there as well when you look back. Again, it's, it comes to the penalties again. I know it sounds bizarre, but I think that the confidence has probably gone there because even though, you know, when you look at the, the goalkeepers around him, you look at the all the shootouts in that World Cup, there's a lot of good goalkeepers in there. But when you looked at Goya Kachaya, you know, who'd already performed heroics against Yugoslavia and Florence in the quarters, you know, you're thinking he's going to save one. And Zenga just didn't seem to... You can see in the penalty shootout frustration of him. And, uh, yeah, it's a funny one with Zenga because that game will always mark his career, really, which he, which was an absolutely brilliant one. But for me, you know, like I said, I think that if, if he... For me, if Zenga wins that World Cup, if he say doesn't go for that cross and history is different and Italy win that World Cup, I'm saying he's even higher up this list by a mile because people would look back at his career really differently, I think. Anyway, moving yeah, on from I mean, he, he he falls out of favour in the Azzurri setup um yeah. in ninety two. You know, if history had played out different, Italy win the their World Cup, you know, maybe that elongates his, his career with the Azzurri, maybe he goes into the USN eighty four as a number mm-hmm. one. But by the time you get to USN eighty four he's been supplanted by Paliuka. You know, and it kind of it le- it leaves a sore taste in the mouth, the way his international career ended, and over- and again the links with Paliuka. Paliuka replaces him at Inter. You know they swap, don't they, in the summer of '94? Yep. Paliuka goes to Inter, and Zanga goes the other way. So you yeah. just feel like had that semi final gone differently, Zanga's. I mean, not not his reputation in a sense, because I mean he had already made his reputation at that point as a very good goalkeeper. But his legacy, I feel, would be a whole lot different. And I think too, 
as you kind of said, he's associated with that game because if you talk to any Italian, you know, who lived through the time, losing the final at USA 94 hurt less than yeah. losing the semi-final in their own World Cup. Like, that was the tournament that Italy were like, right, we're going to win. We have the best squad. It's on home It's on home soil. Yeah. This is it. And then... Best in the world, best stakes in the world at the time. Yeah, and then they lose. Whereas they get they get one step further four years later, but that mm. Italy team isn't as loved as the four years earlier. And Zenga is seen as... He's the reason why Italy didn't... You know, as harsh as it is, he's seen as the reason why Italy didn't go on and win yeah. it. And because there's so much fondness for Italian 90 and because that Italian Italian 90 side were so loved, as you said, Zanga will unfortunately always be associated with that game. You know, yeah. if, if he if, if it had been four years later, he maybe mightn't got he, he mightn't get the same amount of abuse that he gets now. <laughs> you know, but yeah. obviously just because they were so loved and his mistake was so costly. I mean obviously it wasn't one nil, and it was his mistake. You know, it was the equaliser, but and obviously, you know, Vicini made mistakes that had nothing to do with Zenga. But you just it's... you just feel, given how watertight that defence had been the entire tournament, if he doesn't come for that cross, Argentina probably don't score. <laughs> mm. But again, you can't change history but Zanga's history you know his legacy would have been so much more different had things gone differently and then they renamed the World Cup final Inter because <laughs> <laughs> there's been so many Inter players in it uh, right moving on from that uh, well we've mentioned him you already talked about him a little bit there seamless link from one man who couldn't save penalties to one who could uh, it's the wall it's Gianluca Pagluca it's um Wow, yeah, like you say, you, you mentioned it then that he obviously comes over to Inter. But before that, I mean, like you cannot ignore just how good this guy was at Sampdoria. Um, yeah, I mean, it's some second best penalty stopper in Serie A, 24 saves. Um, just an unbelievable specimen of a man as well. You know, just like six foot three. He's He, he was athletic. He's, I mean... For me, this is a goalkeeper where I'm really struggling to see what he could do better. I mean, I mean, some people have accused him of having a bit too much of a temper, but I mean, what would you say? I mean, he was he was he was he was robust. He was physical. He was good off crosses. He could save penalties. He had good reactions. Good off his line. He had a goal kick that he could lump literally. The full length of the pitch, um, and he could play again with the ball at his feet. Another one of those goalkeepers, so we keep coming back to. Um, yeah, unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. I mean, what are your memories of this guy? I mean, long career as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't see any flaws in Paluka's game, like none. I don't see what he could work on. You know, he wasn't the tallest of goalkeepers, mm. but he had an, he had an incredible spring. And his reflexes, again, as we've talked about with Zenga, he had super, uh, superb reflexes. Mm. And he could uh, come for crosses. You know, he commanded his backs real well. Mm. And a good penalty stopper, a good shot stopper. You just think there are, there are no flaws in his game. Um, my uh, my first memory of Paliuka is the USN84 final, because that was a tournament where I 
started to fall. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was just about to say, was there no flaws in his game, and then you mentioned that, and that's probably the, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you remember that final in Pali- yeah. Pali- yeah, Mar- is it Mauro Silva's shot that he spills yeah. and goes on to the post? Oh, and then he kisses the ball, kisses the post. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, yeah, but that 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 is my first memory of Paliuga because that was the tournament where I got into football, um, and I was supporting Italy in the final. And I remember him spilling that shot and kissing the post, and it was like I was just thinking, like he's a character, you know, blessing himself in the, in the middle of the World Cup final. Um, but obviously, just I I grew up with him then as Inter's goalkeeper um, for the, for those four or five years, and just you always kind of you know when you when you were out playing football, you know in the in the playground or whatever, and you mm-hmm. pretended to be a goalkeeper. A lot of people wanted to be Schmeichel, but I was always either Peruzzi or Paluca. Not that I did nets yeah. went into nets often, but um, Paluca was kind of seen as you know at that time in the mid nineties he was. Undoubtedly, one of the best in the world, um, and just I just I loved I loved the the rhythm of his name that is like Gianluca Pagliuca. I just it rolled <laughs> off the tongue so easily, and he was just he was just a superb goalkeeper. And I, it's unfortunate that he was at Inter when Inter were rubbish <laughs> in the mid nineties. You know, NC seen. You know, we talked about Peruzzi when Lippi took took Peruzzi over uh, when Lippi's in charge of Inter, and what he played thirty three games. We said. And, you know, I mean, because when he goes to Bologna, he's still brilliant. He's still, um, yeah, I mean, he was outstanding for them in the sense of he faced so many more shots, even though he probably, huh, probably that's probably arguable, actually, with Inter in the mid-90s. Yeah, but, that definitely is, yeah. Like, Inter had no, you know, except from, you know, Baby Bergami and Javi Zanetti, Inter had no good defenders in the, in the mid to late 90s. <laughs> If it's shiny and goes up front, buy it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> leave everything for Paliuka. But yeah, I mean, I, I think he went too soon. I, I really, really do. And it's like you say, you, when you think back of the 90s, it, it's him. It really is. He's the one who you just remember watching and being totally amazed by. And, and it says a lot because we've named some really top draw names from the 90s. Um, but this this one was just, I think... Yeah, one of the best, one of the best. So, we are moving and getting really on forward. Now we're into the top two. And look, people may argue with this one. We didn't see this guy play. Um, but it's commonly known that Dino's off. Not well, wasn't just... How can you... This is the crazy thing about this Italian list, right? Dino's off was known, because we know who's number one, Known before Buffon came along as not the best goalkeeper in Italy, as the best goalkeeper that had ever been, bar potentially Love Yashin. It was always an argument between the two. Oh, in the UK, people are still banging about Gordon Banks. But you would say that realistically, Dino's often seen as one of the best goalkeepers in the world, and he's coming two on this list. I mean, Dino's off as, uh, wow. I mean, it's difficult to sort of uh, where to start with him because he's the sixth most capped player for Italy. Um, you know, you look at people like Pele talk about him in just with it's almost like with such passion and affection. Um, and then you look look at his <laughs> you look at his honors list, and you know, I mean, yeah, I'll let you talk a bit, obviously, because of Juventus, because he just from the seventies to the to the to the eighties, he's just winning 
everything, whether it's Serie A, Italians, UEFA Cups, World Cups, European Championships. What doesn't he win? I mean, he's just, he's phenomenal. I mean, we could talk about his management career, but that's a different, a uh, completely different podcast. <laughs> um, you, you, you just look at it here and, and think, wow. I mean, it, it's always going to be associated with, with Juventus. There's no question about that. And I think, yeah, like we said, from, from one of the, the greatest of, of all time, and you talk about goalkeepers um, changing the game, and there's few who actually actually do that. But you'd have to say, and this is something I'm going to come back to when we talk about um, uh, number one, is I believe that from what you read is off, he, for being that young goalkeeper when he started out, which was very... Uh, flamboyant and very, you know, making some fantastic, spectacular saves. This is a guy who, as he goes older, transitions his game. He knows his body. He knows him. And when you look at the the games, I've watched many of Italy's games, especially in the 1982 World Cup. He's not he's not diving around all over the place. That his positioning is second to none. I just think it's absolutely incredible. I mean, what do you think? How it's it's hard not to sometimes think, why isn't this guy number one, really? But unbelievable, unbelievable goalkeeper, don't you think? Well, I mean, as you say, for a long time, it was Levi Aschen and Zoff until another Italian came along and, you know, mm. entered into the, the conversation. I mean, it's just Zoff's longevity, you know. Like, he started playing for Italy in the late 60s and he retires in 1982 as a World Cup winner at the age of 40. You know, that just shows you, you know, he's the only, he's, he's the only goalkeeper on this list that won the World Cup and the European Championships for Italy. Obviously, mm. Italy have only won it once, but he was part of the side that won it in 1968. And then he wins the World Cup in 1982. And he wasn't, you know, by the time he wins the World Cup, he wasn't just part of the squad. He was still the number one goalkeeper, showing yes. remarkable levels of consistency. You know, to be able to, you know, because generally goalkeepers then, goalkeepers obviously then they lasted longer than outfield players, you know, given the, 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 the physical demands on outfield players. But Italy are always producing world-class goalkeepers. So for Zoff to still retain his number one position at the age of 40 is remarkable. And... He then, he retires a year later. The only trophy, you were, you were talking about trophies, what he didn't win. The only trophy he didn't win was the European Cup, as it was known then. Yeah, yeah. And his last game for Juve was the final against Hamburg in 1983. And they get beat 1-0. Um, so that's kind of one of the only trophies. You know, he never won a European trophy at club level. Never won a UEFA Cup. Um, never won a Cup Winners' Cup, if I'm correct. Um, never won I should have remembered that because he played for Juve. Of course, he's not going to have any European trophies. Yeah, because Juve <laughs> <laughs> probably would have lost maybe five or six finals, but he wouldn't have won any of them. But just you know, the all uh, you know, he was all, again, again like Paliuka. You kind of where's the flaws in Zoff's? You know, it, it kind of as we alluded to to Zanga. Fingers can be pointed at Zoff. Um, for the 1978 semi-final against Holland, where he gets beat uh, by two goals from 4,000 yards out. I think Arnie, Arnie Han 
blasts the yeah. goal and it is literally like 45 yards out and you're thinking how can a goalkeeper like Zoff's, of Zoff's quality get beat from that far out so I think that was kind of always aimed at him as you know for a criticism of maybe I don't know not his eyesight as such but how can you get beat from that far out <laughs> um, yeah maybe his reactions had slowed you know by 1978 I don't I, I don't think so because I mean he's still the number one four years later when they win the World Cup uh, but again you just think flawless in all technical areas that a goalkeeper you know should prioritise and again for so long as you say it was always Yashin and Zoff were seen as the top two in the history Back of the game yeah, yeah maybe maybe Satmeyer for Germany mm. um, but Zoff was always you know he was always the Italian representative that was put forward for being the best goalkeeper of all time up until very recently. Um, but just, just a remarkable goalkeeper and just a consistent pair of hands. You know, you never had to worry of him going off the rails, you know, like kind of like what Seb Rossi would do, you know, punch an opponent yeah. or kick an opponent. <laughs> you know, Zoff was <laughs> always that model of consistency all the way through his career. And he was a leader, you know, like he, he as we've talked about before, Great sides, there's always a spine, and you always have to have a good goalkeeper as part of that spine. And Zoff mm. was that for Juve and for Italy for decades. Yeah, I think so. I think he's, like you say, playing to the levels that he did. And when you talk about the 82 World Cup earlier on, you were saying about you know, to, to win it at 40. It's, it's outstanding because he's brilliant in that World Cup. I mean, you look at the goalkeepers, I'm trying to think of someone. I suppose in one way, just a bit after him of his era, if you look at the Peter Shilton, he also lasted out till he was 40. Okay, he reaches the semis of Italian 90, but he has a terrible tournament. He looks like an old man, you know, in the way that he plays. Especially you know, he, especially in the in the penalties against Germany. Where oh, he, 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 he was diving four seconds after the ball went into the net. Yeah, he's conceded that lob off Bremer. Uh, and then in the third place playoff, when... Um, Baggio nicks it off him, doesn't he? Yeah, uh, he, makes it. He, he, he comes out, I think, and he tries to smother the ball and he lets it loose. Baggio nips in, plays a one-two with Scalacci it, and scores. I think it's worse than that. He, doesn't he? If I remember, there's no danger. He picks up the ball and then he puts it to his feet and someone sneaks in. Anyway, we're digressing about that. But you look, what I'm saying, the point is that he looked like an old man in that World Cup. That wasn't the case with Zoff. And I think that you know, he definitely transcends generations. Um, yeah. Oh, I actually, I actually stand corrected. He won the UEFA Cup with Juve in '77, so he won one European honour at club level. Yeah. Juve can win the European, the the UEFA Cup, not the European Cup, but the UEFA Cup. <laughs> <laughs> so we are moving to the final one on the list, and we have overrun this podcast a little bit, but it's worth it for the goalkeepers we're talking about. Um, look, well, Gigi Buffon. For me, is a player who is the greatest goalkeeper of all time. He is. This is a goalkeeper who. A, a, no, more than that. This is a sportsman who, when you look at phenomenal athletes, whether it's Michael Jordan, whether it's Tiger Woods, Pele, Maradona, Messi, you can carry on. For me, he's in it. He's in that list. Um, considering that, you know. I would put money on the fact that you could speak to so many fans in Syria who aren't particularly fond of Juventus and they'll all love Gigi Buffon. Um, 
he just the way he is the character, the way he's the person, the way he's the professional. Um, and for me, you know, you you, you know, you, you don't forget his debut. You don't forget the national team uh, exploits. You, you just remember the feeling that I know, you know, if you came up against Juventus, you know, and Buffon's in goal, it's already that feeling of you felt like you were 1-0 down. Um, you know, it, the, the fact that he was so athletic and then he had back injuries and that he changed, like we were talking about before with Zoff, changed his game into, not just changed his game because of his injuries, but also, which he did, but he also changed his game because the game was changing. And as we're talking now, um, even in his, the game against Napoli was fantastic. And you just think that this guy is never going to stop playing because he's just, looks after himself well, um, trains well, and he's intelligent. And I just think that as I don't know what else to say about him, really, that doesn't, you know, when you, the honours list is, is incredible. Like you say, okay, the Champions League has escaped him so far. And, you know, we don't know if he's going to carry on into next season. Um, but Buffon as a, as a player, I mean, as a, what he means to the Italian game, and if we've just talked about a list of goalkeepers, um, and if Dino Zoff had inspired people like Toldo, well, I think the way I learned this for me on Buffon is that I think why I was so lucky to have had Gigi Buffon in City R is because he has now inspired not just a generation of Italian goalkeepers who will be proud of him, but a generation of people who are players who will end up being goalkeepers because of him. And... Yeah, I think that's probably the, the best thing I can say about him. Yeah, I mean, where do you begin with, with Buffon? I mean, it's it's got to the point now where he's arguably inspired two generations of goalkeepers. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, like he his longevity, as, as we alluded to with Zoff, is mind-boggling. And as you correctly said, the game has changed, but Buffon has also kept up with the times and he's adapted and evolved his game to keep ahead like I've mm. I've watched like I watched Roma and Ajax last night and mm. Paul Lopez Roma were playing it out from the back and Paul Lopez was dreadful he could hardly kick the ball 10 yards to Roma's nearest defender and he's a much younger goalkeeper than Gigi Buffon is but when you see Buffon passing the ball you know, to either Alexandro at left back or, you know, Danilo, say, at right back or Giorgio Chiellini or Leonardo Bonucci. Buffon has adapted his game well enough where when he's passed the ball back, you're not fretting that he's going to do something stupid and pass it to the opposition. You know, you're confident in his ability to be able to pick out a pass. Mm-hmm. And when he started goalkeeping, goalkeepers weren't expected to be able to play with their feet. You know, it was obviously, you know, post-back pass rule, but it as long as you could save the ball with your hands, that was the, that was the expectation. But Buffon has adapted and evolved, and he's kept up with the times. And, even, and he was doing this in his mid-30s at that point. It wasn't like he was 28, learning to play with his feet. And it just shows you that he's just a model of... A, professionalism, and B, consistency. And he's been like that since 1995. I mean, what are you talking now? 25 years? 
of just excellence. Like it's unparalleled, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not completely without controversy. Oh, but... yeah, like the, when he was younger in his personal life, he made some mistakes. Um, obviously, he he had the Buffon eighty eight on his back, and he didn't know the the fascist connotations that went along with it. Mm. Um, and he's made some obviously stupid remarks. Uh, in, in his Parma days when he was a bit younger but I think as he's grown up and obviously matured you know he's I'm assuming I hope he's <laughs> he, <laughs> he doesn't have those uh, those leanings or political leanings or whatever way you want to look at it maybe it was just an honest mistake and he didn't know what the number 88 stood for I mean I, I think what at the time he was 19 20 21 I mean yeah we all grew up or, and whatever but Speaking strictly as a player on the pitch, I mean, to me, he's the greatest goalkeeper in the history of the sport. You know, to be, you know, what I say to people when this argument comes up and people, you know, throw out, you know, throw out whatever name, whoever you want to talk, you know, people say Schmeichel, Neuer, Casillas, you know, Zoff, you know, however far you want to go back, depending on the generation of people. I always say to people, Gigi Buffon. For maybe the first, say, 15 years of his career was 10 out of 10 every week. Mm -hmm. The lowest that he has ever dropped is maybe an 8 out of 10. Like, for 25 years, that is remarkable. You know, where you get goalkeepers, like, say, like Ike Casillas. Mm -hmm. Ike Casillas and Buffon emerged at the same time in the late 90s. But Casillas was done by the time Casillas was 30, 31. Like, he went off a cliff. He, Him and uh, Jose Mourinho got into, you know, backstage, a backstage feud in Mourinho's last year at Real Madrid. And Casillas' form suffered. And Casillas never recovered from it. He went to Porto and he, you know, he was decent at Porto. But him and Buffon were at the same level for so long. And Buffon was actually older than Casillas at that point. And Casillas went from a 10 out of 10 till about a 5 out of 10, seemingly overnight. Whereas Buffon just kept that steady level for decades. And to me, that's what separates him. You know, you have keepers that kind of fly too close to the sun, but eventually they burn out and they, they you know, they their level drops. But Buffon, his level has never dropped. You know, there was a, a two-year period when he had back problems problems i think maybe yeah like 2009 2010 and there was kind of question marks about whether the old buffon would ever come back but once he got that's over when it, he changed his game that's when he changed his game though he, that, that's what i was saying before that's when he sort of for me there that he looked and thought i can't be that goalkeeper that i was yeah he, and he, just he, he can't be the the super the super gg the like with the superman t-shirt you can't but that's that what he works on his positioning solidly and and really adapts and I think he's. Uh, I think he's quite to say something about it. he learned to think faster at that time because you know his body wasn't going to do it for him, and r- arguably that injury forced him to change his game and has given him the longevity that he has now. Yeah, and I mean, too, I kind of we, we were you know talking about his personal life. You know, I think it's very brave of him too that he's been on record is saying that he suffered from depression in two thousand and three mm. and two thousand and four, and you think you know. If a man like 
Buffon, who had everything a person could want, material-wise, professional-wise, if he can come out publicly and say that he suffered from depression, you know, and, and he did it at a time when not many sports people were were coming forward and publicly mm. saying that they had mental health problems, you know, bravo to him, you know, for coming out and publicly stating it because you think, from the outside, you think, ah, oh, you know, he's the best goalkeeper in the world, he plays for Juventus, he's all this money, what could he have to be unhappy about? But it obviously shows that, you know, mental health has no prejudice. Every It affects mm. everyone. And I think that was, a, you know, you, you tip your hat off to Gigi for coming out and, you know, saying that he did suffer. Absolutely. Well, that is one hell of a list, I've got to admit. So, we're going to say, obviously, that Gigi's number one. I don't think anyone, too many people will uh, disagree with that. You might disagree with the rest of our list. You might disagree with all of it. So, please... Uh, leave us a note and uh, tweet us, whatever you want to do. Uh, let us know what you think. Drop a comment in here. Please like and subscribe if you like what we're doing and uh, we'll try and obviously keep up with this regular content. But I think we've got to call it a day now because we've overrun it like you wouldn't believe. But hopefully it was worth it. So thank you, Emmett. I much appreciated your uh, conversation chat on that. No problem. It's, um, it, was, it was a great conversation, actually. It was. Um... What do you mean, actually? Like, you're surprised. <laughs> but I mean I, I didn't expect this to go this long but I mean it was as you said it was worth it and we we, we could have went you know an hour and 20 minutes on Buffon alone <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let, let alone Zoff and Peruzzi and Pagliuca and Rossi and um, yeah I, I knew we were in trouble I really, I really we're enjoyed this yeah I knew we were in trouble when we were talking Rossi because it was going on too much right well without further ado I'll say it now otherwise we'll be on for longer so it's from us now it's ciao for now <laughs>